paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, especially tonight. Get your Bibles, run and get your Bibles, we'll wait, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because we're going to be going through that, and I think you might have an experience where you see something in the Bible differently than you've ever seen it before, if you're LDS. If you have family or friends or enemies that would like to watch the show but don't receive it, have them go to hotm.tv. They can watch it streaming from anywhere in the world. You can also watch the show on past archives at hotm.tv. Hey, Heart of the Matter can also be heard tonight. In fact, right now on KUTR AM 820, The Truth. This is a new AM radio station here in Utah, and they definitely have the power in wattage, 50,000 watts. They also have great programming. I tune into it every time I'm in town. And uh, I highly suggest KUTR AM 820, The Truth, if you want to learn the word. This coming Saturday, I'll be at Lifeway Christian Bookstore on State Street in Murray for a book signing from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Lifeway is a great Christian bookstore, among others, that serve the Salt Lake Valley. Come on down and say hello. That's Saturday, September 13th from 11 to 1. Lifeway Christian Bookstores in Murray, right across uh, on State Street from the Fashion Place Mall. Then the next Saturday, Saturday, September 20th, we're holding our annual outreach event, Burning Heart 08, the Day of Decision. It's at Sugar House Park. Late in the afternoon, 3, 4, show up. It's going to go until dusk, and let me tell you, we've got some great things planned. First, we've got Subway, the, the food chain, providing great boxed meals at a deep, di- deep discount. We'll have popcorn, drinks, snow cones. Um, we'll have bounce houses for the kids, t- T-shirts, books, DVDs, and all kinds of other products and materials free and for sale. Uh, then we're going to have some awesome musical guests. Christ Evangelical sending a worship team down from Orem, uh, up from Orem that will be there. Michael Davis will be there. Michael Davis is one of the nation's greatest guitarists. I had the blessing of baptizing him um, a number of months ago, and he's going to share his testimony through guitar. The guy shreds. He can play anything. And uh, you can go and you can see him on dystopiate, uh, youtube.dystopiate. Anything Michael Davis plays, you'll be amazed. He's going to be there. We're also going to have Mike Winger worship team. And then to top the night off, we're going to have Adams Road all the way out from Florida who will be there and uh, play us, play for us and share their testimony right up before you hear a short message from me. 
We have a number of local churches that are going to participate. Good Shepherd Lutheran is going to be there. Christ Community Church from West Point, Christ Evangelical from Orem, Sandy Ridge and Sandy, all those churches and their pastors will be there. And then after the Day of Decision invitation, we're going to have an open water baptism in a heated pool. Heated! So grab your inactive LDS family, friends, and neighbors. Grab those people who wonder or worry or don't know the Lord. Grab a blanket. Join us for Burning Heart 08, Sugar House Park, the Day of Decision. Then for another announcement, I'm sorry, but the, uh, the next day on September 21st, we are launching Campus Christian Assemblies Meeting to Prayerfully Understand Scripture, where our morning services will be at the University of Utah from 9.15 to 10.15, and then we're going to hold the evening services at Utah State in Logan, drop down a little bit, also at Weber State in Ogden, and then again at the University of Utah here in Salt Lake City. Four services, three locations, all going on at the same time if you're interested in learning the Word. Verse by verse, beginning to end, come and join us. Now, we rem remember, we're no longer meeting at the Gateway uh, movie theaters on Sunday mornings. The Sunday morning service here in Salt Lake is all going to be up at the University of Utah. Go to www.lordsword.org for more information, uh, manuals, things like that. You know, I grew up in the LDS church and I uh, was born in 1961 and somebody gave me a manual. It's the Sunday school manual called Gospel Living in the Home. And I was just thumbing through it and I, you wonder sometimes when you do this type of show, you wonder, am I on track with everything? And so I came across this title and it just, it just reaffirmed to me that uh, what I'm sharing is correct. Look at the name that they say. Look at the title of chapter 5 here. Jesus Christ, the Father's Executive. I mean, I, it, it just conjures up a, a, a picture of Jesus in a business suit and, and a tie, and he's the Father's Executive carrying out his clerical duties for men and women here upon the earth. You know, you think that... Sometimes you think, well, maybe I'm not right on how they view them until I run across stuff like this, and this is what I was taught. So I know that uh, we're on the right course on how they view the Savior relative to how I've come to know Him in my life. Um, we understand that I Was a Born Again Mormon is available in the Provo Library now, thanks to you, Jay, for your hard work. I also understand that Heart of the Matter is finally listed on Comcast. Thank you very much, Sharon. We have had a number of emails about some uh, billboard in Arizona for a website called Post Mormon. And uh, it's getting all kinds of hits and, and discussion. Newspapers are covering it, and uh, the media is covering it, Post Mormon. And I just want to tell you, this is my opinion, but I think the, the website is a horrible place. It's typically filled with people who have left Mormonism and have become complete atheists or humanists or agnostics. If you go in there on post-Mormon and you share Jesus, they'll cut you up in little ribbons. And that is the very thing we don't want to see happen. Someone leave Mormonism because they see the truth of it and then fall into the world. And that's what post-Mormon is all about. No, and people might get angry at me saying that, but that's exactly the case. So I hope the thing uh, crashes and burns, but it seems to be getting legs. 
Um, one of the most enjoyable experiences I have in, in doing this show is walking about the city and being approached by people, especially LDS people, who kind of tell me that they secretly watch the show. This past week, I've had at least 10, maybe 12 different LDS individuals who say, you know, they look around to see if the espionage is, you know, I watch the show. I agree with everything you say. Are, are, are you still LDS? I am. I just can't leave yet, but I know what you're doing. I and you know what? We know you're out there, and we know you agree, and we know we're planting seeds, and we know that you're seeing it, and that is such a blessing to know that uh, the message is getting out there. So we praise God for that. And with that, grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's have a word of prayer. God, we love you, and we need you. We, many people are suffering uh, either with doubt or um, with problems of being in this flesh, temporal problems, whatever it is. So we pray your spirit down upon them, open our eyes and our ears, help us to know your truth, and uh, be with our staff, volunteers, uh, management, camera people, audience. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we conclude next week with the very long topic of the 17 points that the Mormons call the 17 points of the true church, I skipped one of those 17 points. And my friend in Norway emailed me and asked me if I was going to cover it. That point says, if you can believe it, the true church must practice baptism for the dead. Now, does your church practice baptism for the dead? If it doesn't, the Mormons say your church is not true. What is baptism for the dead? From where did it originate? And why is it done today in the LDS church? First of all, I want to make a few points before we actually discuss this practice that the LDS call baptism for the dead. The Latter-day Saints are the only church on earth that believe in this practice called baptism for the dead. The first point I want to make is to embrace the practice as Mormonism presents it, is to embrace the false notion that baptism is necessary for salvation. To embrace the notion that baptism is absolutely demanded to be saved is to add to what Jesus did on the cross. Baptism is certainly good and certainly beneficial. It is a commandment that we follow uh, as believers in Christ. Circumcision was also demanded as an outward sign. Baptism is a means of identification with the Lord. It's an outward proclamation made by someone who has accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life, of their earthly life. Built into the man-made act of baptism for the dead is the man-made idea that everyone must be baptized to be acceptable for God. And this forgets the premise of Galatians 5.4 that says to those that add to grace that Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Okay? Jesus told the thief on the cross who received him by faith, quote, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. End quote. Now this word paradise is not a waiting place where the thief would go in order to wait for a member of the LDS church to vicariously baptize him 
Uh, once Joseph Smith revealed baptism for the dead in the 18, late 1830s. Paradise is a Persian word and is not, according to Robertson, a Greek scholar, a temporary or intermediate state, but the very bliss of heaven itself. So when Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, he said, today you will be with me in heaven. Now I have news for you. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, and I would guess he wasn't baptized for the dead either uh, by the LDS since. This Persian word was used for an enclosed park or a pleasure ground, and it occurs in two other passages in the New Testament only, 2 Corinthians 12.4, Revelations 2.7. And in both of those references, it is plainly uh, connected to heaven itself. All right? The thief on the cross. Jesus said, you'll be with me today. If you want more insight into what baptism is, what it means, what its biblical applications are, go to hotm.tv, watch the 2006 show archive number 27 on baptism, and you can check the information out for yourself. Okay, another point we have to consider relative to this practice of baptism for the dead is the point of how insipid, how ignorant, actually, for anyone to take a single Bible verse and build an entire doctrine and practice upon it. When I was an LDS missionary serving in Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, we went to Amish people, and the Amish people were guilty of doing that. They would not chop wood, not the Mennonites, but the strict Amish would not chop wood, because they would read the scripture that said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And so they built an entire practice of that, or, or forbidden practice, built off that verse. What's unfortunate for the Amish is that they neglected to recall the passage was what it was contextually talking about. In fact, if you read the verse as a whole, it says, Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. It was talking about marriage. It was just talking about marriage, and yet the Amish community took the verse out of context and applied it to chopping wood. Context becomes unimportant when men have a teaching that they want to push on you. They can take a little sliver of a word and just make you believe that this teaching is true. This is the case of baptism for the dead as proposed by Joseph Smith, Jr., Contextually, the single biblical reference for baptism for the dead is couched in a magnificent Paulinian teaching on resurrection and has no other reference in the word and for good reason. It does not mean what the missionaries go and tell people throughout the world that they do. The missionaries knock on the door, they give a lesson, and they say, you know, everybody needs to be baptized to go to heaven. What happens to that poor African man who died without hearing the gospel. He's sitting there in spirit prison. And if he needs to be baptized to go to heaven, well, what's he going to do? What he's going to do is the church of Jesus Christ baptizes people for the dead. And so somebody can go in one of the temples and they can be baptized for that poor African man and he can accept that baptism after this life as a spirit and he'll rejoice and rejoice and rejoice in heaven and because the work has been done for him by faithful members of our church. That's the teaching, all right? 
let's discuss the context of this biblical passage. Um, get your Bibles out. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you, uh, it's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. That's the order of it if you don't know where it is. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 15 is a definitive argument for resurrection in Scripture. It's presented by Paul, and he uses a Greek method in order to deconstruct this premise that the Corinthian believers had come up with. They said there's no such thing as a resurrection. And so Paul, he uses a tactic called ad hominem. It doesn't mean what it means today in a personal attack on a man. What he did is he took a premise and then he deconstructs the premise based on facts to the point where the original premise is completely obliterated by his logic. And this is what he does. He goes through and he presents this nonsensical uh, premise at the end. Paul reminds the saints at Corinth that they had the truth preached to them at one time and that this good news included that Christ died for their sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day. Paul continues uh, in verse 5 through 11 to rehearse to these misguided believers that many people witnessed Jesus as a resurrected being. So he's throwing down different things under the premise that they don't believe in a resurrection. Then in verse 12, he states, go to verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there's a false teaching that was going on with these believers at Corinth. Some say that among, some among them were saying there's no resurrection. Then Paul begins to work backward through the error of their logic. He says in verse uh, uh, 13, But if there be no resurrection for the dead then Christ is not risen, okay? So that's the first thing he says. Meaning, if there is a universal truth that there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not breaking that universal truth. He's not risen. So let's just say, you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If that's the truth, then Christ is not risen. Then he says in verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. In other words, why are you calling yourselves Christians? Because without resurrection, your faith is ridiculous. Your message is ridiculous. And then he says in verse 15, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if, he, if so be that the dead rise not. Paul here tells them that if there is no resurrection, then they're all liars. That Paul is a liar, that the apostles are liars, and they're preaching a gospel that is a lie. And then in verse 16, he says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Meaning, if the dead rise not, then Christ didn't rise either. And he says in 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. So he's working back closer and closer. Then in verse 18, he uses an important phrase that's important to this discussion. Listen. He says, Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So those who have fallen asleep in Christ, he mentioned. Now this is important relative to our, to our discussion because the phrase, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are those who have died as Christians. And Paul says, those who have died as Christians have perished if there's no resurrection. All right? Now, 
it's really important to understand this because those who were perishing as believers, some were dying natural deaths, but many of them were dying because of persecution. They were being killed for their faith. In fact, Paul stood over the death of one of those martyrs, Stephen, who died as a Christian, a believer, for his faith, and he was one of those who are now asleep who, that was, who was a believer in Christ. Paul continues in verse 19 with his reductive argument. If in this only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So if we only have the hope of what Christ did while he was alive without resurrection, we are all most miserable. We're just, it's, it's a lost cause. Meaning the resurrection completes full circle, his message, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. Anyone who overcomes death must have accomplished and overcome all he said he would. This is what he's trying to get to. Okay, this is the line of reductive reasoning, uh, and it stops for a moment right here. This is fairly complex, but we're getting it on tape. You can go back and watch it again. Listen, he stops this reductive reasoning at this point. He goes through and gives all these points, and then he stops. And if you have your scriptures out, you could almost take a parenthesis and put it around verse 20 through 29. Because what he does is he starts going and building up why Christ was resurrected and what it means relative to sin and being the first fruits and all these things. But it's like a parenthetical reference. So it's like he was telling them, look, I'm destroying your premise that there's no resurrection. And then he pauses and he writes about nine or ten verses about how resurrection is so important. And then he picks the discussion back up at verse 29. And um, verse 29 is where uh, we pick up in the scriptures that the LDS use the uh, uh, verse out of context. And this single verse is the one that Joseph Smith uses to say we have baptism for the dead. I hope you uh, follow me so far with this. Okay, so up through verse 28, we have a parenthetical reference, and then we continue the discussion about um, why baptism for, uh, why they are baptizing for the dead. Okay, verse 29, it says, he continues, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? So now listen, Paul is referring to those who had fallen asleep here. Those Christians who had died, he is saying, if they're not going to rise, why do you continue to baptize people? All right? This is part of his reductive ad hominem argument. He is taking their premise point by point, showing how ignorant the premise is by comparing it with the other accepted facts of the gospel. Understanding the context of this verse that Paul was speaking of those Christians who had died or passed on Many from being persecuted will help you understand the Greek of the, of the uh, verse that the LDS use. The Greek is hoi baptizomen oi huperton nekron. Sorry for pronunciation, it's been a while. That word hooper in that phrase is the Greek word for the word for in what shall they do which are baptized for the dead. Okay, the hooper. That Greek word hooper, meaning for, does not mean for the dead. It means to take place of or to replace the dead who are gone. That's what it means. So he says, you don't believe in uh, the resurrection. 
Else what shall we do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are you being baptized for the dead? That for means why are you being baptized to replace those Christians who were persecuted to death? Now this is going to make a lot of sense to you if you just read the next verse. Because he follows it up and he asks, And why stand we in jeopardy at every hour? So what he's saying is, you guys don't believe in a resurrection. You're baptizing people to replace those Christians who have been killed and persecuted. Why are you doing that? And why are, you, why are we standing in jeopardy at every hour being Christians in this very volatile situation if you don't even believe there's a resurrection? Don't baptize new people to replace those Christians in the body of Christ who have been persecuted and killed if you don't believe in the resurrection. It makes no sense at all. That's why he says, and why do we stand in jeopardy at every hour? I hope this is making sense. Look, he says, you say there is no resurrection. I know I'm repeating myself, but I think it's important. If this is the case, you have no reason to hope. We are all made liars, and those believers who have been killed in the name of Christ have died in vain. Yet you keep baptizing people, which will replace those people who have been killed in the body of Christ... So they can be killed too? That's what it means to be baptized for the dead. The word for means to replace those Christians who are asleep and believers in Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with living people being baptized for people who have died. And why stand we at jeopardy in every hour why are you putting new converts in jeopardy of every hour if you don't even believe they're going to be resurrected? This is one of the most difficult passages in Scripture because of how it was written. And so it's open to a whole bunch of understanding. But if you go to the Greek, you can see it doesn't mean that they were baptizing people for the benefit of people who had died. It means they were baptizing them to replace, new to replace the church with new converts. And Paul says those new converts are going to be slaughtered. If you don't even believe in a resurrection, why are you doing it? It's impossible when reading the Bible in context and in light of all the other scriptures to ever believe in a doctrine that a live person can go and be baptized for somebody who is dead so that they can enter heaven. Um, by accepting this rudimentary falsehood of baptizing people for the dead, faithful members of the LDS church are then led to believe that other work needs to be done for the dead too, so this will enable them to get into heaven. So this is probably the world's best example of religious busy work. It is unbelievable, and let me give you an example why. First, they have to do the research to find the name of somebody who has died, who hasn't been a member of the church, who's a relative, and they get all that information, okay? Then they send a teenager in, usually, to do a baptism on behalf of that person in their name. And uh, then, if that dead person is a male, then a person has to receive the LDS priesthoods by blessing on that proxy person. So you have the Aaronic priesthood laid on a proxy's head and given to him. Then you have the Melchizedek priesthood laid on a proxy's head to be given to him. And all this is recorded on a card for this dead person. Then... 
at this point, we're probably minimal three to four hours of human work time put into one deceased person to get them to this priesthood level of receiving the priesthood. Then they have to go through and they have to receive um, the initiatory work in the temple. That's another hour. So we're at five hours. And then they must go through the endowment session. A person goes through for a dead person in their name. That's another two and a half hours, all things considered, travel, maybe three hours. So we're up to eight or nine hours now of a human being's life invested in one person who has died. And then we go on and if they really want to reach the highest degree of heaven, they have to be sealed by proxy to their wife in marriage and the children need to be sealed to them who have died too. So that's going to be another full hour, two hour process. Let's just give it a full 10 hours per person who has died, who needs to receive the LDS ordinances from baptism all the way through temple sealing in order to be eligible to live with God. And there has got to be a trillion people who they need to do this for. And of the LDS church, 13 million members, you have maybe half that actually can go in the temple or half that are active. So let's say that's 7 million. And of the 7 million, you have maybe half that are actually going into the temple. So you have maybe 4 million who are in there doing it. So you have 4 million people. And of those, half of them are children. So you got maybe 2 million adults who are spending their time getting babysitters, leaving their kids, letting the, letting the living struggle, and they're going in on busy work to save the dead. To save the dead. It isn't biblical. It's nowhere in scripture. It's, it's religious busy work. Why? All institutions that want to keep people in control keep them busy so they don't think, so they never stop and reflect. They never pause and watch Heart of the Matter. They do all kinds of things except worship God, and, and they just have to work and work and work. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He bore the cross. He carried all the burden. He and he alone is the source of all salvation, the source of all exaltation, the source of all eternal life. No rites, no rituals, especially for the dead. Let's open up our phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We've got a number of first-time callers, Michael and Rachel. I'll get to you in just a second. A couple emails really quickly. Um, from India, Tim writes, the LDS issue and the Book of Mormon challenge. They, he says that the LDS say you got to take this Book of Mormon challenge. you got to pray to know if the book is true. And if you pray with a sincere heart, you'll know it's true. And Tim suggests that we present the LDS with a, uh, a kind of like challenge of their own, you know, and we, we start throwing them challenges to take. Why do they get to set the rules for this challenge and, and say, you got to do it. And if you don't pass the challenge then you're the one who's not right. So he says, we should use their own doctrine and come up with, you know, if you can answer these questions about Joseph Smith, I'll know you're really a true believer. How many wives did he had? How many were under 20 years of age? How many were under 17? How many were under 15? You know, and just do some of our own challenges that we can come up with. So there's an idea for you if you're wondering what to do when missionaries come to your door. Um, 
Eleanor for Ogden asks, Sean, you're a homosexual, aren't you? Uh, I know you have tremendous sin in your life, and I would guess that you're a gay. <laughs> Get to the heart of the matter and confess. Honey, are you watching? Uh, first of all, I, I'm not a homosexual. I, uh, I enjoy women uh, far too much to ever be attracted to someone of my own stinky gender. So, uh, but, you know, I get a lot of emails on the homosexual thing, and it seems actually pretty insane, because from one side of the fence, I have people say, I need to be more clear about standing against this vile trend that's happening in America and stand against the homosexual community completely for their sin. And then on the other extreme, I have people who say, you have to embrace us and everything about us in order to show that you're truly loving. And I just want to say both sides are absolutely insane. You know, uh, if you're a homosexual, that's your, your sin. I have sins too. I don't hold your sin any differently. It's, it's all sin. Come to church. Get, I've said this before. Get your gay self into church. And read the Bible. Don't try to change the rules of the Bible. You're never going to get that from me. You know, never. Doesn't mean I don't love you. You're just not going to get me to change the rules. And from the Christian side, look in the mirror if you want to see sin. You know, there, there are definitely problems in that area, but there's problems in every single area of life. Why we pick on them, I don't know. Yes, they're more out there and things. Fine. That's their sin. We, we do what we do with all sin. So I think both, both extremes are terrible as long as I'm talking about it. And I think, let's just get, look, gays come to church, read the Bible, talk to God. Take to him your issues and let him heal you like we would tell anybody else with any other sin. Let's go to Michael and Orem. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Michael, you're on the air. Hello, Sean, the real deal McCraney. Hello, Michael. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, just have a comment with a little bit of commentary to the viewers. Okay. Um... A couple weeks ago, you were really on, on message, buddy. I was on message? Yeah, big time. What does that mean? Well, you, were, you were stayed on message real good last couple of weeks ago. You, said, you mentioned that you were having a, kind of a bad day and couldn't get some sleep, but you were really strong. Well, thank you. Okay. Um, I'm praying for you and your family and the ministry God has entrusted to you. Thank you, Michael with James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 in mind, which reads in the Revised English Bible, My friends, if any of you strays from the truth and another succeeds in bringing him or her back, you may be sure of this, the one who brings a sinner back from his or her erring ways will be rescued from a, a, rescue a soul from death and canceling a multitude of sins. Yeah. Uh, my comment and commentary for you and your viewers is, if one will only study Genesis chapter 3 without religious bias or blindness, one will find and see the true heart of the matter, which I believe you, Sean, are establishing and accomplishing with God's help. Um, we have today in the LDS Mormon Church leaders and in part membership promoting a Latter-day Serpent theology, um, the theology of that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan. The LDS Mormons need to reconsider their theology and repent and reform their church from the bottom up, if necessary. 
their behavior in erring ways as Adam and Eve's were. Their theology is based upon gold plates and seer stones, not by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They must come to realize that they are being duped by a scam of serpent theology, also known as the devil and Satan. They must come to realize that they are being deceived by believing and following cunningly devised fables, or that is to say fabrications promoted by imposters based upon gold plates and seer stones. Hey, Michael. Yes, sir. I, I, I love what you're, uh, what you're reading, but uh, is, is there, is how, long, how much longer is it going to go? Because we got a lot of people who call, and we just got to keep it, it, it going. Okay. Can you, eat, can you send it to me? Yes. I have to say that again. Can you email that to me? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. I have me emailed it to you today. I can finish this up with the last paragraph then. Okay. Um, Latter-day Saints, we love you, but uh, you're being as Adam and Eve of Genesis chapter 3. Sean, continue to warn and inform the Latter-day Saints, both the leadership and the membership, that they are being deceived by believing and following cunningly devised fables and fabrications that are being promoted by imposters deceiving and being deceived, which I call Latter-day Serpent Theology. Okay, Michael, appreciate your uh, comments. Thanks for the call. Thank you for taking my call. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Rachel in Provo, first-time caller. Rachel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, Hi. Actually, it's Rochelle. I know it's spelled like Rachel, but Hi, Rochelle. it's uh, pronounced Rochelle. Hi. Um, just two things real quick. Um, first, I wanted to just, in a very quick nutshell, I wanted to tell you my story as a LD convert. And also, um, the other thing is I had a quick question before I, I said that. Um, you know the whole burning in the bosom thing yeah. that they tell you um, to know the Book of Mormon is true and everything? Well, I joined church five years ago, and, you know, I guess I wanted to believe it. I don't know if that's why I had that feeling, because I did have those feelings. Uh-huh. You know, when I talked to my husband about all this and, you know, with all my doubts and things and, and doing all the research I've been doing, he keeps bringing that back up. And now I don't really know how to combat that because I, I did have those feelings, but, but I mean, the, the evidence is overwhelming that this just is not the truth and this is not where God wants me in this church. And so how do I combat that, you know, with my okay. husband? That, how, what do I say? All right. Uh, first thing, I, I always do this, but uh, HOTM.TV, we have a show on feelings. That's one thing I would watch, uh, and it might help you to understand and may help your husband understand the difference between facts, knowledge, feelings. The, another thing is when you look at spiritual truth, the first thing you look at uh, is the facts. And then once you have the facts, then you look at faith. Facts are the engine. Faith follows is one of the cars. And the caboose are feelings. I'm not saying discount feelings completely, but I'm saying we go facts, we go faith, we go feelings. The LDS say the, the, the engine is feelings. Now, I would say to your husband that your experience could be very similar to George Clooney standing on the set of a movie and getting ready to do a tearful scene about his son who was killed by a car. And he's really gearing it up, and man, he starts feeling it. And he starts crying on the screen and he starts giving and he really believes it and feels it and he makes us believe it and feel it. But when they say, stop, that's a take, George has never been married and he doesn't have a kid. 
He felt it because he wanted to feel it. It was part of the experience, but those are very misleading and they're not based on fact or faith. They're based on a person's desire to have an experience. And I can tell you, if I sit here long enough, I could probably have the feelings of anything, you know, and so could you. So I would, I would talk to him using those methods. Right, because, you know, I mean, I've, I've told him, I was like, you know, I've had some of those same feelings that I had, those exact same, you know, warm feelings in my chest. I mean, uh-huh. I could describe that to him, and I've had those exact same feelings watching sentimental movies. And, sure. You know, I've tried to explain it to him that way, and he just, I mean, I don't know if it's just maybe he just doesn't want to believe because his life is so wrapped up in it that if it's not true, it'll be the end of his world. But Right. Well, anyways, um, the other thing, um, I just, in a very quick nutshell, because I know you have other callers and things, I just want to, in a quick nutshell, say my story. Okay. Um, I'm just about 24 years old. I I joined the church five about five years ago, and since I was eight years old, um, you know, we didn't really have an established re- religion in our house. Uh-huh. Um, my parents both said that, you know, they believed in God, but, you know, that didn't really mean a whole lot in our house because we didn't really practice any religion. And anyways, um, but a lot of, you know, bad things happened to me growing up that led me from that time to really want to know if there was God and, you know, just truth. And so since I've been eight, I've looked at different religions, different, um, you know, sects of Christianity, and um, for You're a long a time I was really turned off to Christianity, and I think now that was just because of, you know, some bad experiences that I had with some Christians, you know, I was basing sure. my judgments off of um, people instead of the Word of God, right. and, um, um, you know, I, I looked at everything from Buddhism to Islam to Christianity, and I even looked at Wicca and all these other crazy things, and um, you know, one day I, I met the missionaries, and they talked to me, and just through a series of events, I mean, I, I had those feelings. I joined the church, and I, I feel like, you know, at this time I feel like like God knew that, I mean, that that was a way he could bring me a step closer to him. Mm-hmm. But I know now, um, you know, having been a member for five years, that that I have no relationship with him. I don't really know who he is. I mean, I still feel like that little eight-year-old girl searching for God and searching for truth. And yeah. that, you know, if, if we want to base our um, our religion off of feelings, well, those are the feelings that I still have as an earnest truth seeker. And, and so, I mean, if you want to base it off of feelings, just by feelings alone, I know this church is not true because I still feel like... God is not in my life, even Rachel, though I'm desperately seeking Him. Rachel, so, Rachel, uh, l- let me uh, stop here on that and talk to you. Is so? Is God still not in your life presently? Um, you know, I mean, just I've just recently, in the last few days, really decided that I'm going to leave the Mormon Church because I know it's not true, just through my research and my feelings on it at okay. this point. What are you going to replace that with, Rachel? Well, I've been starting to read the Bible and trying to look at it through okay. a non, you know, without the the JST translation and all Excellent. that, and to really look at it with my own heart and my own mind. And I've been praying, and I feel like God is real, and if He wasn't real, then I'm, I wouldn't be where I am today. Will you do me two favors? Sure. All right. 
The first one is, uh, well, continue to read that Bible, my sister. The second, the second it's going to be three favors. The second one is go to Christ Evangelical Church. Just take a step in there and you don't have to do anything. Just introduce yourself to Scott McKinney. He's the pastor down there. They have a lot of people who have come out of Mormonism and just tap in there. There may be things that bother you because all churches are going to bother us. But just try that. And the third thing is, take the time, if you will, to come to Salt Lake for Burning Heart Saturday the 20th. If you're not working, if you can get away, I would love to meet you. And you can come and uh, we can talk more about this. Great. Thanks so much, Sean. And I mean, God bless you for what you're doing. And You're I a seeker. You're a seeker, Rachel, uh, Rochelle. You're a seeker. And God always responds to seekers. Mm-hmm. He's going to respond to you, my sister. I promise. Thank you so much. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Vicki in Salt Lake City. Vicki, first-time caller. Hi. Um, so first of all, God bless you for what you're doing. Thanks, Vicki. Um, I, um, I haven't been watching you very long, but I came out of Mormonism. I'm 55. I came out of uh, Mormonism when I was 17, and um, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, how dangerous it is, but what I did was I kind of created my own theology. Okay. And um, I drifted from 17 to, like, 40, just believing that God was going to um, not judge me and and send me to hell because I didn't cheat on my taxes and I helped old ladies across the street and I didn't murder anybody. Oh, yeah. So I guess I just want to um, kind of tell people that's out there that have left the Mormon church or any uh, church they feel that was wrong to um, don't create your own theology. Go to the Bible. Good. Go to your knees and pray and... um, Make Jesus the most important thing in your life. That is a tremendous call, Vicki. I really appreciate you taking the time to share that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I love what you're doing, and I pray that you every day, every night, every morning, that God will continue blessing your ministry. Thanks so much. We need that so badly. Thank you, Vicki. You're welcome. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to go to Dan in Provo now. Before we go to Dan, i, I got to tell you a quick story. Dan is a baseball player for BYU. Dan used to call the show, and he would give uh, many good insights about Mormonism, etc. And um, Dan met a girl who was LDS, and he joined the LDS church. Dan uh, is calling now, and I'm not really sure what he's going to say. But Dan is a full-blown Christian. I know. I've met him. He used to come to our events at restaurants. He's called the show. He had insights into Mormonism. And now he's online. We disappeared. Get a graphic. Line one. Line two. Line three. Dan. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell, what's happening, man? Let's hear the rundown. I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. What do you want to hear about? I want to hear about what's going on. I heard you joined the Mormon church. Great. You heard it, right? I heard it. I heard it. Now, now how's that going for you, buddy? <laughs> well, um, well, I joined, like, in May, 
May, so June, July, August, September. So you've had a four month. Did, did you go to the meetings and everything? Yeah, I went to the meetings. <laughs> um, this is not what I wanted to come on the air for. I, didn't even I don't care, Dan. I want to hear about this. Our audience needs to know. Um, well, shoot. I can get kicked out of BYU if I talk about it. Can't, do they know who you are? Um, Stan? I don't know. Stan, do they know who you are? I don't know if they know who I am. Well, this is well. How do they know? There's a lot of stands at BYU. Well, when I was when I was a freshman, I almost got kicked out of BYU for talking to people on Zanga and talking to them about the church and that they should leave it and because it's not true. And I almost got kicked out as a freshman for talking about that stuff on the internet. Wow. Well. Uh, so okay. Well, do, what do you want to talk about, Dan? Well. So, like, I, over the summer, I repented of it, and I'm out in my heart, but I need to keep going to the church so that I can get an ecclesiastical endorsement. Wow, amazing. Amazing, Stan. So you're out in your heart, and, uh, and, uh, but you need to stay attending so you can get the ecclesiastical endorsement. I see. Right. Be because now that you've joined, if you renege, you're an ex-member, and so ex-members aren't allowed to go to BYU. Correct. I get it. Okay, well, that's a tough predicament. Uh, are you? What year are you? Junior or senior? This is my senior year. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure the Lord understands that predicament. Well, He would understand, but at the same time, I'm not even trusting in Him. I mean, I think over the summer I should have just had myself removed and then gone to another college. He would have provided the way. I'm sure. Oh, He would have. But, you know, he knows that you're a, a, a kid who uh, met a beautiful girl and you may have uh, made a mistake. We make mistakes in this life and uh, you're trying to work through it. You've come back to the most important thing and that's your relationship with him and your heart. And in time, all the exterior stuff will crumble away and you'll be back in full swing. You never know. The Lord may have taken you through this for a reason, Dan. Sure. Yeah. So was that your call was about? Um, no, I thought it was a secret. I didn't know. How did you find out? Through Scott? About 600 emails. Are you serious? <laughs> you're, you're a popular guy, Jim. Oh my gosh. Well, I wrote down the 20th. I want to go out there. And, come, um, come on out. We, we want you to be there. Wear a false mustache, hat, and glasses. I know, right? <laughs> um, okay, um, I want to talk about some things. All right, quickly. First, um, Jill from Salt Lake City. How's she doing? Jill from Salt Lake City. She used to always call and talk to you. Haven't heard from Jill in a while. Well, I hope something's going good for her. Um, yeah. I want to talk about the guy on the cross. The guy on the cross? Yes. How he was caught. He was in paradise with Christ on that very same day when they knew that they were going to die. Right. It says they used Second Corinthians chapter 12. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago caught up in the third heaven um, and he was caught up into paradise. In verse 3 it says paradise. In verse 2 it says third heaven. They use the third heaven to equate that with celestial kingdom. So celestial kingdom, third heaven, equates with paradise. So paradise is celestial kingdom. Wow. And then so if he's going to get caught up in paradise with Christ, he's in the celestial kingdom of Christ. Wow. That's a, that's a really good insight. I have never heard that or thought of it. So I am glad you're back on the right side. <laughs> um, also, I read your. I was reading your book 
I was a born again Mormon, and it talks about um, you said that Christ was not had to earn his way to be a part of the Godhead. Now, in John chapter one verses one and all that stuff, how the Word was God. Now, if God has a body of flesh and bone, how is it possible that he ha- he became flesh if he was already flesh? If the Word became flesh. Right. How did God the Father, who is already in flesh, become flesh if he's already flesh? Right. Right. Has anyone talked about that? They have. They have. And to clear up, just so you know, I was talking about what Mormons believe relative to that, not what I believe in Born Again Mormon. But yeah, I've heard that before, and it's been talked about, but it's a good point. Um, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul advises people not to marry? Yeah, uh, he says it would be better if you were like me. And what he's talking about is if you, in theory, can uh, abstain from sexual relationships and you can devote your life to serving the Lord, so be it. I mean, he says that's, that's a great state, and I would think he's right. You know, we can get a lot more done when we don't have spouses and children to take care of. And, and for some people, he's speaking to them. He's saying, for some of you, there's no obligation to be married and to have to go and do all this. You can go and give your life to serving the Lord. So the command to Adam and Eve to multiply, was that just for them? I mean, it seems like it would be just for them. I mean, what tree do we have to eat from? Yeah. Well, I think that to Adam and Eve, and I think to mankind in general, be fruitful, multiplying, replenishing the earth is a commandment, and it's a good one. God is for marriage. He sanctifies it. But Paul, under the dispensation of grace, is saying, listen, if the Lord so uses you and you want to be single in mind, heart, and body toward him, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the psalmist in 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. That's a beautiful passage, isn't it? It's excellent. Yeah, I love it. You've already grown in a lot of ways, Daniel. I hope uh, you continue to go on. And you're sneaking over somehow incognito. I keep using your name. Uh, over to uh, Christ Evangelical again, aren't you? I am. And I cried in Pastor McKinney's arms because he knew what I was going through. And I did never want to talk to him when he called me. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he's a good one. Arms to cry in. He's a, good, he's a good man and a good pastor, and he does a lot of great things down there with you BYU guys. Oh, hey, you know what? One more thing. Yes. Um, I want to recommend John Piper to everyone who is listening, because I've read his book starting when I was a freshman here, and one of the books he wrote is God is the Gospel. Now, there's a quote by Hinckley saying that the whole design of the Gospel is to lead us onward and upward to greater achievement, even eventually the Godhead. Now, I mean, who's glorifying God more? Someone who is self-exalting or John Piper? Amen. Great insights, Daniel. Keep going. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Hopefully. The 20th. Okay, take care. Thanks, John. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. We're going to Timothy in Santa Quinn. First-time caller. Timothy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Got to turn your TV down, Timothy. Yes, I'm, I'm here now. I want to uh, respond to, um, to two things. You mentioned the uh, thing about First Corinthians fifteen twenty-nine. Yeah. Um, I, I understand the argument about uh, being baptized for the dead, that is, in place of the dead. 
Right. But I think you probably are also aware that uh, even amongst Christians that that verse um, is some subject to some yeah. amount of interpretation. And I just uh, want to pr- propose uh, another idea for you and your listeners as okay. well. That uh, if you look at the uh, pronoun, pronouns in verse 29, uh-huh. it's third person. It's talking about people outside the faith, okay? And then when it gets to verse uh, 30, it says, Why are we also oh. danger? Uh, uh, see, so he's... he's uh, He's addressing from verse 30 on, he's addressing the Christians, but uh, verse 29, he may well be talking to people who were doing a practice of baptism like the Mormons, but he uh, he addresses them in a third person and obviously doesn't um, believe that what they're doing is of any value. Hey, Timothy, that's a great uh, insight. I like it, and I agree with you. I think there are other explanations to it, but uh, I really like that. They, they, and then we. I think it has it could have some meaning, uh, but uh, we'll say whatever to give us a different, qu- more in our quiver, right? Yeah, right. The other thing I wanted to share was to the lady who was talking about the the burning in the bosom experience. Yeah. Uh, as a former Mormon myself, I had that experience many, many, many times, and uh, I know that there are people who do, if you will, uh, drum it up. You know, that is, they, they, they muster up those kinds of feelings, but I also would have to say, I believe, and I did experience this myself many, many times, where I wasn't trying to drum up anything, but I definitely had this uh, spiritual experience in which I had not only the physical uh, burning in the bosom thing, but uh, what seemed to me at the time to be just light and knowledge being poured into me and accompanied with absolute conviction. And that's what I think uh, many Mormons have had, probably uh, a lot that haven't as well. But um, I wanted to just say that uh, I believe that's a demonic spirit, uh-huh. um, that it's uh, not from, uh, from the ghost. Hey, you know what, Tim? Uh, Timothy, I agree. And in fact, I'm going to start off next week's show talking about angels and the angels good and angels bad, and some of the things that Scripture says that they do, and I think it will fall right in line with what you're saying. So that's another arrow in the quiver of how feelings could be. Your call's great. Really appreciate it. God bless you. Hey, God bless you too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, listen, don't forget, this Saturday, um, Lifeway Books in Murray, and then the following Saturday, September 20th, from 4 to dusk, Uh, Burning Heart Sugar House Park. God bless you. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. Break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage And run